Welcome to Base Space. A crypto podcast. Base Space. Eric, we're super excited to have you on. Uh, for those listening in, maybe on Spotify or, or YouTube, welcome to the Base Space. This is a crypto podcast hosted by myself, the Crypto Mewtwo. And also joined by my other two co-hosts, Chase Coins and Super High. We focus on creating opportunities for growth, networking, and education in the crypto industry. And today we have the honor of having Eric Turner, VP of Market Intelligence of Masari. Welcome to the show, Eric. We're super pumped, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's it's tradition here at the base space. Every time, single time we bring on a new guest to ask them how they got into crypto, we'd love to hear your story. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so I think like most people, uh, I'm in my you know early 30s, so I'm one of those people that heard about Bitcoin, you know, back in 2013 or so. Uh, I was working in traditional finance at the time, so I was that uh, person that heard of it. Uh, thought it was ridiculous, thought that we were doing everything right um, in the, you know, investment and banking industry back then. Uh, it wasn't until a couple, you know, years later, uh, started to hear more about enterprise blockchain when that was popular, 2015. Uh, really what got me started is I sat down in early 2016, uh, mid-2016, and read the Ethereum white paper. And, you know, that's what really clicked for me. Uh, thinking about, you know, just the ability to have programmability and, uh, you know, smart contracts and everything that was kind of lined out there. Uh, that put me down the rabbit hole. Uh, I was actually at the time at S&P. So I was a fintech research analyst. I was writing about, you know, a lot of things in that space, uh, you know, the early days of peer-to-peer lending and uh, payments and everything and uh, started writing more about blockchain and really went deep, uh, you know, publishing pieces on Bitcoin and uh, yeah, you know, 2016 was my real entry into the space, and it's uh, you know been full time crypto pretty much ever since then. Let's go! Yeah, you, you've actually been in the space longer, I think, than all three of us. Like, because I got started in 2017. Chase, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you got started in 2017 as well. Yeah, yeah, it was like right in time for you know the uh, the early innings of what became that wild 2017 with ICOs and everything like that. I think. You know, back then, what did you have? You had like 2016, maybe Gollum did a token sale or something like that. And, uh, you know, you saw spring, summer, everything just went wild. And I think, uh, you know, even now, like 2017 is OG in this space, right? You just had a lot of people come in, you know, 2020, 2021. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how fast the space moves. Yeah, I'm actually curious, like Eric, um, you know, one, one of the things that really struck me uh, where I looked at it from a different light, I guess I should say, is, you know, if you look at the plays that were around in 2017, whenever you kind of started seeing the bull run kind of come back in like early 2020 and then seeing the rise of like DeFi summer, was that kind of like a paradigm shift for you as well? Because I remember thinking at that time, um, you know, I was like, oh, like bull runs coming back. And I'm thinking about all the 2017 tokens and coins that had like pumped to the moon and gone crazy. I was like, oh, I'm going to just start buying up all of these. And then this like new thing came about called DeFi. And I was like, okay, well, hold up. I may need to readjust my like, investment thesis. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was funny. Uh, it was funny seeing that, you know, I went full-time 
crypto when I joined the SAR and, you know, actually just really committed to it in January 2018. So just in time to really endure that crypto winter, um, you know, not from like a personal investment standpoint, but really also from a professional standpoint and uh, seeing, you know, the markets come back. It's funny because uh, things were definitely different. I think DeFi was, uh, you know, really kind of catalyst for a lot of real use cases. And we started to figure out um, how, you know, composability worked on these networks and everything like that. But, you know, to your point, it, it's, it is also funny because you saw a lot of zombie coins, uh, as I would call them, from the 2017 era that had just shipped absolutely nothing, you know, still ride the wave. There's so much correlation that you, you're still getting that, like, market beta, uh, even in something that just hadn't, you know, hadn't really done anything. They, they had a token that was probably sitting out there as an ERC-20 and someone probably, you know, read an old blog or a white paper and thought, hey, you know, this might be interesting. The market's coming back. Maybe this is the next thing. But uh, I think you've seen a, a lot of splits where real use cases, real networks and, and real protocols are, you know, leading the pack now and kind of washed out a lot of the uh, excess and the things that just, just never worked in, you know, pre the previous bull run. 100%. And uh, Eric, I'm also like interested to learn like what actually led you to the Masari team? Like what was your journey there from like a professional standpoint? Yeah, uh, I don't think I've told the story much, but uh, I was at S&P and I was, uh, you know, writing about crypto. I was uh, part of our blockchain task force we had there. So you can kind of picture it being at a big corporation. Uh, you know, there were four of us that were trying to push things forward try to get some things done. Uh, we were working on some interesting things, working on, you know, trying to figure out how we can provide data into oracles and uh, you know, some other use cases that weren't strictly like the enterprise private blockchain space. And I'll give S&P credit for, you know, at least listening to us at that time. Uh, but I was actually uh, out at a coin center, uh, happy hour, shout out to coin center uh, in 2017. And uh, I met a guy and, uh, you know, we started talking about, the need for better transparency, uh, more protection in this space, you know, thinking about all of these ICOs and making sure that people actually stuck to their promises and that you could track what the team was doing, uh, making sure that they were hitting their roadmap milestones, uh, not just taking your money and disappearing. Uh, so this guy was talking to uh, Ryan Selkis, uh, you know, dialed me up a, a couple months later and he, he kind of took that idea that he'd uh, been thinking about catalyzed it into something uh, with our uh, other founder at Masari, uh, Dan McArdle. And uh, yeah, you know, I kind of jumped at the opportunity to take an idea that we've been discussing, uh, really put it into action. And, you know, for me, it was uh, joining a small team, you know, working at something that I actually believed in. And uh, that's, that's how I got really into the space. That's awesome. Yeah, because yeah, you're 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 really OG then because like you're, you know, you you're you've been helping build this space now for for quite a bit of time and you've seen Masari grow. I don't how many people are actually on the team now? Yeah, so we are uh, if we didn't hit it last week, we're probably at 100 people right now. You know, we're hoping to be closer to 200 by the end of this year. Um, we've really seen an acceleration in our team and it's it's really been driven by people just asking for, you know, more and more of what we do. Um, we think of our, you know, product and, and what we offer at Masari as sticking to our core goals of bringing more transparency and smarter decision-making into the space. 
Uh, we've really built what I think is kind of a you know, full stack market intelligence product. And when I say that, you know, it's going from all the way, making that initial decision, whether you should invest in support or build on a protocol, monitor what's happening on these protocols and networks in real time, uh, discover new opportunities in the space to so figure out what's happening thematically. And, you know, with some of the new tools we've rolled out uh, actually participate in governance, you know, directly through what we offer. So we really want people to be able to understand everything that's happening in this space uh, and then actually, you know, manage these protocols. We, we, we believe that there are going to be trillion dollar protocols out there. They're decentralized and, you know, you need that information. You need that ability to act uh, to make sure that these are successful. Yeah, actually, I think that's a good transition. Like, we have a lot of listeners, especially on the Spotify and YouTube channels, who are, like, essentially brand new to, to crypto. Um, I was wondering if you could kind of give us, like, that high-level pitch of, like, what Masari is and, and what the company's about. I, I have a feeling a lot of our listeners don't even know. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, at a high level, uh, I, I think a lot of people make the comparison of uh, sorry being a Bloomberg for crypto, that full, you know, data and research type platform. Uh, we focus a lot on providing quantitative data that is, you know, clean and easy to understand, be it market data, DeFi data, blockchain data, um, anything you'd want to know if you're you know, not only researching individual protocol, but comparing protocols. Uh, across sectors. So we pair a lot of that quantitative information with our research team or our market intelligence team, um, where we have analysts that, you know, are doing everything from writing uh, long form thematic research, um, working directly with protocols to, you know, publish more transparency and put together, you know, what you might think of as like a quarterly report you'd see uh, from traditional companies and organizations, um, all of that into, you know, spending just 24-7 in discords, telegrams, githubs, monitoring what's happening on networks to make sure that our users are ready for a software change. They know that uh, a token swap's happening. They know that a fork's coming up or even, you know, God forbid, like a hacker attack, uh, you know, that they need to be on top of. Um, and again, you know, doing that not only on the, the network and the protocol side, but also on the governance and protocol management side. Um, so we have a team, you know, doing all of that and our users, uh, are kind of mixed. So we have a, a wide range of users, just given, you know, the fact that we think of ourselves as an aggregator of a lot of data and a lot of information. So it could be teams that are running infrastructure, maybe at a wallet or an exchange or something like that, that you know, need to cover 250 protocols and it just doesn't scale for them, their team to do that internally, uh, you know, all the way to funds and VC investors that are deeply participating in governance we, of course, work with like a, a lot of the protocols and then uh, we're starting to see a lot of interest, too, from, you know, the traditional financial institutions looking to get into the space and kind of looking for more than that one on one level, um, you know, information that they've seen in the past. Eric, I'm just first of all, thank you for that that breakdown for everyone listening. And uh, I'm kind of curious, what are some of the strategies that you carry out at Masari to uh, ensure that you're hitting all the key points within your research reports? Yeah, so, you know, we, we've, and this is the thing about uh, th this crypto industry is I, you know, coming from traditional finance and coming into this space, you know, of course, you have some ideas of how you conduct research and what a research report should look like. But it's such a new and unique space. And it's, you know, so many different disciplines combined. It's the technology, it's the economics, it's 
you know, really the game theory of everything. And you know, now it's, it's getting into culture and social. Uh, there are so many things that go into crypto that our research process and the way we write our reports, it's constantly evolving. But we really think of it as we, at the end of the day, want to be objective and neutral. I think, you know, if you lose that, uh, it's really difficult to provide market intelligence, to write research, to do anything in the space. So we approach it, uh, you know, on our, our you know, specific, uh, I, I call it like our long form research team where you're going to read the research reports in our product. You know, we approach it from the fact that I think that our analysts have a lot of freedom to go out, find what is interesting in the space, play around with things. Uh, everyone's encouraged to, you know, use protocols, participate in governance, figure out what's interesting, what's there, uh, and write their findings for our users. It's not necessarily a top-down driven process where you know, we say we want to cover this, this, and this, um, and you need to do it. We you know, have weekly check-ins and with our analysts and everyone talks about what's exciting, what's new in the space. And I think that was uh, what we saw, especially in DeFi summer is if you weren't tweaking what you were doing on a weekly basis, you were missing out. And uh, a lot of people just couldn't keep up on their own. And you know, our, our plan was, and what we hope we executed on was keeping them up to date on just this very rapid evolution of not just the DeFi protocols that were you know, being built out, but what ended up being the you know, evolution of the base layer networks that things were being built on and you know, this kind of multi-chain future that we're in now and you know, certainly gonna see evolve. I love that. And it's definitely, um a difficult task trying to cover everything in crypto as we all see like a week in crypto feels like a month or two months <laughs> like the space just moves really fast um so i have to give you props you know for managing the teams that push out all these reports and my next question would be do you have specific teams for like specific topics like DeFi, DAOs, nfts or is it just one big team that kind of like you said just goes and finds what's new and exciting in the space yeah, so we were talking about this early on. Like, this is what I love about the fact that we're in this remote world now where everyone is, you know, not in the office. Everyone can communicate via Slack or Telegram or you know, wh whatever other sources you're using. Keep the team working together uh, wherever they are in the world. So uh, right now we built out our teams where I mentioned kind of those specific product verticals. We have people doing like the Intel and the governor uh, and the governance tracking those are pretty well-defined teams. And then uh, everyone that comes in to write research for us, a lot of them, you know, we found that they have a specific skill set or, you know, there's something they're interested in, but uh, generally we like to give everyone kind of a month or so to figure out what they're really interested in. You know, the, the first assignment when you join the SARI is to spend some time reading our research, uh, reading other research in the space, playing around with protocols and, you know, figuring out what you're interested in. But given that, you know, we're a startup, it's pretty easy to pivot. So we might have somebody one day that is covering, you know, just web three in general. Uh, maybe they just get really deep into NFTs. I want to see NFT research from them. I want to see research from somebody that is not only passionate, but spending the time, not only working hours, but you know, their free time digging so deep into these things that they're going to provide that synthesis, that analysis, and really, you know, that edge that's going to keep people ahead of the trends. Like you said, it's just, it's impossible for an individual to keep up with everything in this space. And you've seen it, like you used to be able to be a crypto specialist and that doesn't exist anymore. You have to be a sector specialist given how much is being built, how much value is, you know, actually in each sector uh, and just how fast things move. 
Eric, I'm actually curious, like where, where are you guys sourcing talent primarily right now? Like are you guys kind of actively looking for, you know, the, the non-accounts that drop the alpha threads that are really on top of ecosystems? Like I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, because you have that, you know, traditional corporate side world, which is I feel like a whole different world versus like this uh, crypto Twitter world that, that we see. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I, I see a lot of people that if you come in and you think about, you know, what a good research analyst looks like, you're looking for somebody that maybe did a stint in banking or consulting. Um, there are so many smart people that are coming from those industries that are getting into crypto or have been getting into crypto. They can provide really great insights. For us, we really don't have, you know, a specific, like a mold that we're looking for. We're not putting out job reps are not posting on job boards, you know, we're looking for somebody two to three years uh, at Goldman Sachs or somebody that's, you know, done a, a stint at uh, McKinsey or something like that. We're looking for a combination of, like you said, people that are just posting insightful things on Twitter, um, you know, people that are reaching out to us. Uh, one of the things, you know, to touch on is really early on when we started the company, we wanted this to be community driven. We wanted to really include as many people as possible. So, I spent probably my first six months at Masari building out what we called our community analyst program, which was just a chance for people to, you know, write up, uh, I'd call them like tear sheets or, you know, basic uh, two to five page profiles on projects they thought were interesting. And we had a nice Slack channel. We got on calls. We talked to each other. People are doing this on a volunteer basis. But, you know, for so many of those people early on, it was a, a resume builder where, you know, they were able to say, hey, I have experience in crypto. Let me go figure out what I want to do. And for us, it's actually, you know, a way that we sourced a lot of our analysts. We're able to work with them early on. Uh, we just had so many passionate people. You know, we've hired people, sure, from banking. Uh, we've hired people from, you know, so many different backgrounds. We just brought an analyst, uh, you know, she was working as a structural engineer. You know, it really depends on if you can be passionate, interested, and, you know, there's the ability to, to mold you into an analyst. I mean, you can teach writing. Uh, you can't teach passion and motivation for the space, though. Hey, just real quick, Eric, um, we had somebody from the audience uh, DM us a question. He's asking um, what's it like to hire somebody with zero financial experience in the industry, maybe some experience from biotech or a sector like that? Yeah, yeah. Um... We, I, I would say, you know, if you think about our, our team in general, we, we probably have fewer people with finance experience than we do with, uh, you know, different ranges of experience. We have physicists, we have engineers, um, we have people that have worked in so many different industries that I, I don't think at this stage, you know, especially given, again, like I said, it's just so many different, it's multidisciplinary, um, you can really come from anywhere. And, you know, I like I, I think it's really important in this space to have people from different backgrounds, to have people with different experiences, because we're trying to build not decentralized financial networks. We're trying to build a decentralized world. And, you know, that's the vision of Web3. Um, so you, you, you need those people and, you, you know, you need that input. Um, highly recommend anyone that's interested, you know, check out our careers page on Masari.io. Uh, there is a research analyst position that's, you know, we think of it as the entry level into starting in crypto, teach you some structured research experience. And uh, we're always happy. You know, I, I think one of the things for us is we're really happy if people join us a year or two in this type of role, uh, learn the research process, you know, help us build the products and the research that we want. And 
Uh, you know, if there's something else you want to do and you can't find it in Asari, uh, we've always been supportive of getting people to where they, uh, where they should be. Perfect. Thank you for that. Hey, and uh, pivoting back to the research side of things, when, when you guys are writing reports on, on different projects, are you guys actively like working with those projects to produce the reports or are these reports like kind of fully independent of, of the projects, like, I guess, like influence? Yeah, so we have, um, for the most part, our written research is our analysts completely independently coming up with ideas, writing what they think is interesting. Um, you know, they might talk to the team and we want people to talk to the team and really understand what's happening. But th that's the thing too, is, you know, talking to the team isn't even the full story for a lot of this. It's, it's, it is actually at the point where things are decentralized. You have different contributors and you have people who can go out and uh, get different viewpoints from. So most of our research is, you know, written just kind of what analysts think is interesting. Uh, we do have this, you know, uh, team that we actually started uh, about a year ago, that's uh, our protocol services team. And they focus on very structured and uh, objective reports on protocols where they might work a little bit closer with protocols. So uh, we actually just put out a couple of these reports. If you, uh, if you go to the site, you'll see one on Uniswap, you'll see one on Avalanche. And these are meant to be full overviews of what happened in these protocols over the past quarter. Uh, what's great for us is we're actually able to just put a lot of this together in-house uh, you look at, you know, governance updates and things that happened, um, you know, if anyone's familiar with like the traditional financial world or like looking at research and companies, you know, you, you have a section called the management discussion and analysis. Uh, you don't really get that in crypto because there's not really, you know, some protocols still have it, but, you know, the, the management discussion is more so who's proposing new things, uh, you know, in, in the governance system or who's building new things and releasing them, who's building on top of these networks and protocols. Uh, we aggregate all of that with the, like, you know, our Intel team and our governance team. Um, and then our analysts are able to write around that. So, you know, we have that. We have a really big uh, data science team working a lot with Dune and the graph and a lot of these open source, um, you know, protocols. And when we work with projects and work with protocols, the idea is to really just have a, uh, you know, very structured objective overview of what's happening uh, at that point in time or what happened over the previous, you know, few months. Uh, and provide not only that research, but wherever possible, those open source, you know, uh, Dune dashboards or data sources. Uh, that's extremely helpful. And I guess kind of on that same note, like, do you guys ever charge like companies to write reports on them or um, like, are you ever, uh, yeah, I guess like charging businesses or companies to like produce reports on, on what they're doing? We get a lot of people that ask to, uh, you know, have us write about them. So on the protocol services side, those reports are uh, funded by, you know, and again, it, it's, it's not even projects. We actually do a lot where we go to uh, a DAO and we put together a proposal for writing a report and, um, you know, they can fund the, the time it takes. If you think about writing one of these reports, uh, we have an analyst, we have a data science team working on this. Um, so we put proposals out to DAOs and we really let the community decide on this. Um, so that's the only time, you know, where you're going to see that. And then everything else, uh, we keep this pretty, you know, structured where our, our longer form research team, um, if you look on the site, we call it, you know, the difference between enterprise and pro research versus the hub. The hub is where we're working with DAOs, we're working with decentralized protocols and 
they're funding those reports because of the ongoing maintenance for all of the open source dashboards. And we really want those to be something that's owned by the community uh, as opposed to us where we're going to put it behind a paywall or try to offer it to enterprise customers. So they're really paying to unlock all of those resources, all of that data. And uh, I think that's something that has been missing a lot in this industry is, you know, yes, for us, like, frankly, we are a business, you know, we want to charge money for our products. Uh, that's how we get paid. But, uh, you know, a lot of that goes to our enterprise clients, but we want to also be good stewards of the community. And we want to make sure that uh, these larger recaps of what's happening on a network or a protocol are available for not just our paying subscribers, but really anybody in the community. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good lead-in as well to Masari Pro. Like when I was navigating the website, I did see that some of the content and, and research, you know, as you said, was behind like this, this paywall or, or gate. I'm curious, like from your perspective, like what's the big difference in content for Masari Pro versus what's available, you know, to the everyday person for free on the website? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the way, the, the way that it works is we have two subscription tiers. So uh, three technically. We have that first one I was just talking about where it's free. Everybody can access that. And that's, you know, the community side of things. We have our pro subscription. It's, you know, it's, I think, about $30 a month. Um, that's meant to be a little bit more insight into protocols and things that are happening. You also get uh, more data and analytics. So you get additional data points on our screening tools. You get the ability to create custom filters and custom dashboards that you can share with friends or share, share on social. Um, and then we have an enterprise tier. And the enterprise tier is really when you get into this larger market intelligence product, uh, you know, everything there where it is much more meant for teams that are very, very deep into governing or managing protocols, keeping up to everything that's happening on the infrastructure side. You know, that's meant to be something where say like a big bank or exchange wants to get multiple people on their team uh, access to everything that we offer. So uh, we always, you know, we, we plan on keeping it that way. Uh, the governance tool. And if you go on the site right now, you can see it's called Masari governor. Uh, that's free. Anyone can use it. You know, if you think about governance, that's, you know, clearly community driven. Um, so you can go in there, you can read everything that we offer. You can, you know, actually connect your wallet and participate in a lot of the voting uh, directly through our platform. But, yeah, the way we think about it is, you know, there's always going to be some people that are on that pro tier where they're going to want a little bit more additional information, uh, a little bit more research, a little bit more data than that enterprise tier where uh, someone's going to want, you know, uh, everything that we offer and really be able to set alerts for events, you know, market intelligence and all that. And Eric, I'm just curious, do you see most of your use, users or, or customers being individuals or institutions? We have a good mix. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, the way that we've seen this evolve, it's, it's really it's really the way the crypto space has evolved, where uh, you have somebody that might be an individual, they might sign up for a pro account, uh, but it's somebody at a big bank. And they are the one person at that bank that loves crypto they are maybe the crypto lead, even though that's not their full-time job. And eventually it gets to the point where they get asked so many times, tell me about this, tell me about this. What is this protocol doing? What should I know about the crypto and the blockchain space where they actually become enterprise users? So it goes from, you know, an individual paying for their own account, 30 bucks a month, where, you know, they have their, uh, their, their team and their company actually want to pay for 
a much more robust and a larger uh, subscription. But we see, you know, pretty much across the board, a good mix of people that are deep into crypto that want those advanced analytics uh, as individuals, as well as, you know, larger enterprises and everything like that. So uh, I would say, you know, where we, we really don't see a lot of people coming in is like the pure quant Bitcoin trader. Uh, you know, we're definitely focused on everything that is, you know, asset three through a thousand. Uh, we do a lot of great research on Bitcoin and Ethereum. But at the end of the day, you know, that that becomes kind of a, a more constrained market. So we are big believers in this multi-chain future. Uh, all the protocols are being built on top of these various networks and we want to provide as much information as possible to our users. And obviously it's very important to have uh, correct information and, you know, accurate data. So my next question would be, how does Masari source their data for the price feeds? Yeah. So we, you know, at the end of the day, we've really think of ourselves as an aggregator uh, of information, of research, of updates. Um, I love this space because I came from traditional finance where large companies own the single source of truth for things like market data. Uh, you can only go to one place and you pay an insane fee to get this information. So we work with a lot of great partners. Um, we source market data from uh, our partners like Kaiko. We work with Coinmetrics on uh, blockchain data. And then our in-house engineering team uh, builds out, you know, everything we need in addition to that. So DEX integrations and, you know, anything we're going to get directly from protocols. Um, you know, we also work, you know, with some, uh, some other partners, but we really believe that uh, where the value comes and, and what we're going to provide to people that's useful is putting all of this together, putting it in one place where you can find it, adding that additional context. And we spend so much time thinking about providing clean and accurate data because, Yes, you can go anywhere and you can get a lot of this information. Um, if you look at like DEXs and things like that, you can get data, but it's not only it's not always guaranteed to be correct. And I think there's a lot of nuance, protocol to protocol, that we spend a lot of time thinking about where, you know, it's not one size fits all on how you think about um, revenue coming from a DEX or, you know, how you think about staking data. So we uh, we use a combination of things. We, we you know, at the end of the day, um, I think it's beneficial to have as many sources of information as possible. It's just becoming such a massive space. And, you know, as I mentioned, when you think about research analysts, they're becoming segmented where they cover a specific niche or sector. Uh, we think that, you know, data is the same thing. It's, it's going to be, you're going to want to go for best in class for someone that can go deep uh, and partner with those people as opposed to somebody that goes shallow and broad. Eric, I want to kind of shift the discussion to talk about trends. But before we do, I kind of want to circle back to the uh, Masari Governor um, service that you guys offer. I, I think that's like such a, an amazing product to offer because I feel like governance is really hard in this space. I'm actually just curious, like on your take, like what do you think is really kind of needed, whether it's from like an infrastructure level um, or wherever it may be, what do you think is really kind of needed to help DAOs like really kind of hit that like rocket point, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, and the reason we, we really looked at this product and tried to create this early on is, you know, the biggest issue becomes everybody has the power to influence what's happening in the protocols that they care about, you know, with the tokens they own. And you just end up with a lot of voter apathy. You end up with people that, you know, I don't think it's that people don't care. It's that people don't know 
that they should be voting on these things. They aren't, you know, in the discussion forums. They aren't on the off-chain um, signaling platforms. They just don't know that they have the power with their tokens to, to actually define the roadmap of the protocols that they care about. So I think across the board, everybody knows voter apathy is the biggest thing where DAOs are facing that challenge because you can end up with somebody voting yes. They might not be the, you know, the majority in terms of numbers, but they're majority in terms of tokens. Um, so we built this product really on the educational aspect, telling people what they need to understand, uh, what, you know, the community thinks about things, uh, what they really, you know, uh, providing details on like who's voting for what. Um, I think that's one of the big issues right now with DAOs is just, you know, getting people more involved. I think it's, it's the educational thing. It's exactly what crypto was in the early days. It's just educating people on what it is and what they need to be doing. It's not about just owning tokens. It's about, you know, if you think you're owning your token and you think you hold a token because it's going to go up in value, um, you control that. And I, I think that's what people need to realize. Yeah. No, I, I agree. That I think DAOs are in a like really tricky spot because you just have varying levels of commitment, competent, uh, competency, and even just like levels of contribution within this kind of decentralized structure. Um, you know, and there's definitely that infrastructure needed to help kind of like close the gap and make that all easier for the average participating member. Um, so kind of shifting gears, talk about trends. I'm actually curious, like in your position, and you know, you've been in this space for quite some time, like what, what are what are the trends that you're most excited about right now in Web3, whether it's across NFTs, you know, DeFi, social tokens. I think we're still a little early to that narrative or even like the L1 or L2 ecosystems. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting where we are uh, as a space right now. And we, we were talking about being in the industry in 2017 and seeing all these ICOs. And it turns out a lot of these big ICOs they launch networks. Um, you know, these projects are real. They've built real networks. They've built robust layer ones where we're at the point that things work. Um, I think right now, what's most interesting to me continues to be the idea that we live in this multi-chain world. Um, I think being able to build interoperability and bridging between protocols or networks is something we're going to see evolve over the next couple of years. You know, we're seeing bridges, we're seeing all these things being built now. We're still incredibly early. Uh, we are so early and people don't realize that. And we're going to see so many growing pains. We're going to see a lot of hacks. We're going to see a lot of issues. And I think people need to realize that. If you are participating in these things, you need to realize that uh, as a user. But my, you know, my biggest takeaway from uh, DeFi Summer was what DeFi actually means. And I got excited about DeFi, not because of the financial aspect of it and the ability to trade and make money. But if we think about what Web3 is, it is the ability to interact with anything and have some sort of value transfer or transfer of ownership built into that. So DeFi really is, yes, right, I, I would say right now, it's incredibly speculative, but it is going to underpin all of the things we want to build in Web3. So building marketplaces for gaming skins, building marketplaces for NFTs. I mean, if you look at the NFT space right now, 
there's so much opportunity there that some sort of generalized DeFi protocol that's going to fill that gap. Uh, De- you know, DeFi's falling out of favor. I get that. A lot of those concepts and a lot of those protocols are going to underpin whatever this next wave is of Web3. Um, we've actually seen so much progress in what we believe to be this decentralized world where, you know, it works. Like decentralized file storage works. Can we figure out the economics of it? Yes, I think we're getting closer to that. Um, you know, decentralized compute, all of these things that getting back to 2017, 2018, I, I just wrote all these off. I was like, this is ridiculous. This was something where we wanted to raise money and, you know, we're, we're going to, uh, you know, just take that money and do whatever we want with it. But it's working. And I think we are getting closer to that Web3 world that I would have said is 10 years away. If you asked me two years ago, uh, maybe it's five years away now. And maybe we're actually starting to see the ability to build out things. So uh, I'm excited about all of the evolution right now happening in crypto. I'm excited about real L1s being built. Um, I think we're going to see a world where you have a you know split between applica- application specific chains and ones that are you know more uh, generalized. You're going to see trade offs. You know that that's always the thing about crypto. You're going to see people understand and embrace the trade offs between speed and security. And if we have interoperability. We have primitives and protocols that can build everything on top of that. Uh, man, it's going to be an insane next few years. Uh, we're close to doing what we wanted to do with Web3 and building that new internet. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. Um, with the rise of GameFi, it almost ki- kind of lean, leans itself to be another catalyst for DeFi to grow even larger. Um, and I'll kind of give you an example. Like, did, did you ever play video games when you're younger, like kind of World of Warcraft or RuneScape or any of any of those types of games? Uh, I was a big uh, Call of Duty guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, but you 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 kind of have some working concept of the of those games. Yeah. Okay. Um, and for the record, I was also a big Call of Duty guy, but th- these examples just work a little bit better for you know these style of games, but. You know, like kind of with the rise of GameFi, you have these in-game economies that have transferable currencies that can go outside of that closed-loop ecosystem, right? So, like, you know, RuneScape and World of Warcraft, they had their own kind of in-game currency where, yeah, you could buy in-game items, but ultimately there was kind of like a roadblock at the end, right? There was no transferable value, um, generally speaking. There was no transferable, transferable value outside of that ecosystem, but... You know, now with the rise of DeFi and GameFi and being in these like closed loop networks and, you know, blockchains, you can have seamless collaborations to where, you know, maybe when you're visiting a in-game vault or in-game bank with your in-game currency, you're actually interacting with a DeFi protocol on the back end. And so as these, you know, sections of the metaverse grow, their treasuries could be essentially as well locked in these DeFi protocols and allow them to grow seamlessly in collaboration to get with each other. So I think that's like a really interesting concept. Um, but I'm curious, like from an L1 or L2 ecosystem perspective, is there, are there any ecosystems that have like really kind of grabbed your attention? I try not to comment too much on uh, individual protocols or networks, but I think uh, you, know, you can probably see the ones where they're building out native ability to have different things built in a hub and spoke model 
Um, you're seeing a lot of really interesting L2s. And I think, you know, anything where you can build liquidity between protocols is going to be very, very interesting. Uh, you, you know, you're like talking about GameFi and all these things, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, the technology is agnostic to what you consider to be valuable. It is a protocol or token standard. And if you can build liquidity in specific ERC-20s or, you know, even bundle uh, non-fungibles or really just build bridge liquidity, liquidity just means the ability to move between all of these different networks and protocols and platforms and whatever it may be. Um, you know, I think almost even instead of saying protocols at this point, like you said, it's more so thinking about the end user experience and the platform that they're on because all of this backend is going to be abstracted away very quickly. You know, no one's going to know that they're using 10 different DeFi protocols to play a game. They're just going to care about the ability to move between games and move their skins between games and, you know, actually have something that they consider valuable, usable, uh, no matter where it is. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually curious, um, you know, what do you, what do you think are kind of next big narratives that are coming down the line that people aren't really thinking about? Maybe it's not discussed enough or it's kind of under discussed, you know, we know insurance is coming down the line, you know, having real estate or mortgages on the blockchain, um, maybe even commodities. And then you have dynamic NFTs coming down the line. I'm just curious, like, what do you see as one of the, the next big narratives that are going to take people by surprise? Yeah, so it's, it's funny because I've, I've been hearing more and more from really smart people that have experience in this space, um, thinking about, you know, non-fungibles as actual ownership on chain. And that gets into what you were saying about real estate and things like that. Like, what can you do if you can prove ownership of something in the physical world with uh, an NFT? I think that's something that is a little bit early, but I think it's incredibly promising. And that gets into, you know, where I see a lot of interest, um, you know, probably not uh, what crypto native people would expect, but uh, actually having organizations. So you're not just thinking about like financial institutions like banks, but organizations thinking about how they build on public blockchains. Uh, there's been, you know, I think we're at the point right now where we can say enterprise blockchain failed. Uh, it didn't work and there's no reason to have a private database between a few participants. Uh, I think actually we're starting to see a lot of really large companies become interested in the ability to use a public ledger. And I think that is going to be the next iteration of crypto where people realize that they are going to be left behind if they aren't building something on a public network. And they're going to put a lot of teams to work thinking about what their specific use case looks like. So, you know, you're not going to get somebody that, uh, left a large gaming studio because they wanted to build a game five protocol, you're going to get the big gaming players interested and in dedicating a lot of money and a lot of human capital to building these things out. Yeah. And kind of in line with that, like what, what do you think is the, the next large catalyst for web three adoption and growth? Do you think it's kind of like the ease you kind of touch on it, like a little bit of the consumerism where it's the tech, the tech, um, stuff is kind of really abstracted away and it's just an easy 
user interface from a user perspective? Um, or, you know, what do you kind of see that being? Yeah, we go through, we go through cycles. So I, I, I always think about, you know, not just like the, um, you know, bull bear market cycles that we go through in crypto. I, those are obviously the leaders of interest. But if you think about the education cycles and getting people comfortable with these new concepts, early on, it was Bitcoin. Can you get comfortable with crypto and blockchain, period? Then it was Ethereum. Can you get comfortable with the idea of this, you know, more smart contract, composable type layer? Um, getting people comfortable with that, then it became DeFi, finance on blockchain. We're not quite there yet. I'm thinking about, and if we think about, you know, where things are headed and who the next, you know, million to 10 million users are going to be, they're going to come from places that you don't expect right away. You're going to get a lot of pushback and we've kind of seen that, but what it ultimately will become is a catalyst coming from very day-to-day -day things that people do. It's going to be that confluence of social and cultural. So NFTs, you know, uh, they've done a lot. Uh, if, if you think about that, on the cultural and social side, you're getting people that wouldn't be into crypto, but they're starting to understand it because of the way that they want to interact it with it from that, you know, social or cultural aspect. Uh, you're getting, you know, gaming uh, into the mix. And if you think about the large institutions and companies of the world, they're going to have to respond to that. And that's, that's why I think this is they're going to have to respond to that because of the fact that their users are going to start demanding it. And it really is up to us, you know, to be open to that, help educate people and just kind of let them get comfortable with the idea that this is something that's going to empower you. Um, you know, it's not something where you're going to have to deal with, uh, you know, rug pulls and all this other stuff. And, we're early. I get it. This is, you know, open source VC basically in real time. It's an incredibly insane industry, but that's where we're going to see the next, you know, wave of Web3 adoption uh, in my mind. And I think once you get there, you start to really open it up to what this looks like as the quote unquote new internet, uh, as people would call it. And that's when social and all these other features come into play. I think in the long term, those make sense. I don't see in the near term any sort of like, you know, more like social media. I don't see Twitter getting on the blockchain or in, into crypto anytime soon until it gets to the point that everyone has a wallet, everyone's interacting with crypto. And it's kind of like, if you don't do it, someone else will. Right. Yeah. You know, in, in, in the tech world, you know, the, the network is one of the most important things, right? I mean, but I think that really even expands beyond just even technology, but just general business, right? Keeping your network, keeping your customer base. And so I'm curious, like, let's just use a tangible example of DeFi. Do you think in the future um, that the average user will kind of maintain their relationship with their bank and these banks will just kind of shift their product offerings to be more competitive? And on the back end, these banks are just kind of plugged into DeFi protocols through like APIs, but then just kind of, you know, your average, you know, uncle, aunt, grandma, grandpa is kind of, you know, keeping and maintaining their relationship with these existing um, institutions. But really, you know, to keep their network, these institutions just shift their product offerings and plug into the system on the back end. Is that kind of how you see it being ad adopted at scale or do you see that differently? 
Yeah, for the for the larger industry, you know, if you think about what the use cases are, um, you know, I, I I I covered fintech for long enough to see what fintech companies wanted to be and what they became. They moved fast. They created really innovative solutions. Banks hated them. And now if you go to a fintech conference, it is all banks looking for the next target to acquire because they know that it's easier to fold this into what they're doing than try to compete. Um, it certainly becomes much more interesting in crypto where uh, you're, you're not competing against private companies. You're competing against global decentralized protocols and you can see how valuable they are in real time, how many people are using them. And for banks and traditional financial institutions, I mean, you, you have to look at the millions of users and the billions of dollars at some point and say, if we don't do this, you know, we're, we're going to be left behind. Um, so I think a lot of that adoption comes from plugging into the back end, using a lot of these protocols, using a lot of these tools. Uh, I think that, you know, at the same time, I, I always maintain that idea that by doing this, it's not, um, you know, I think Nick Carter uses this a lot. It's a silent revolution. It's not that we are going to tear down institutions today, but we are going to slowly build that back end, build that network and build that community where the millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people want to use these services, know about these services. And if you aren't offering them, um, you know, not only as like a, an institution, but as an actual nation state, you know, actual governments are going to have to get more comfortable with it and start to build out the ability for these uh, these services to be offered. Yeah, no, I, uh, I love that. And I could continue down this line of questioning for um, the whole entire evening, but I do want to take a moment and kind of pivot here because I know we're getting close to time. Um, I know you guys have a conference coming up, I believe in New York City. I'm um, just wondering if you could do, like plug a little bit of information on Masari Mainnet, um, you know, what people can, can expect from that conference and who maybe some of the speakers are. Yeah, uh, I would highly suggest anybody that is interested in crypto join us for Masari Mainnet. It is the most, you know, I, I would say that what we do is we focus on the real crypto communities with this conference. We did one, uh, our first one in person last year. We had such a great turnout and we are probably going to 5X the size of that conference. It is September 21st to 23rd uh, in New York. And it is, again, it is every protocol, every network focused on what's actually happening in crypto. So you won't see any enterprise blockchain uh, presentations you'll see what actually matters in this space. And it's just a great get together for um, anyone that's really trying to jump into the industry as well as anyone that's been here since day one. So check out Masari Mainnet. You can see it uh, on the header on our site, on masari.io. Again, it's uh, September 21st through 23rd. That's awesome. And uh, do, do you guys already have some of the speakers lined up that you could announce or is that still kind of a uh, to be determined? Yeah, you can uh, you can actually go to the site right now. You can see a full list of the speakers that we have there. Um, but again, it's across the board on the infrastructure side, on the investment side, uh, people that are you know deeply involved in building these protocols. Um, so you know we'll have Chainlink, Ave, uh, you know ECC, people from uh, the investing side like Galaxy, Love Novo there, and 
Castle Island Ventures. Um, I, I, you know, it was a great time last year. Uh, I heard great things. We heard great feedback from everybody that it was very high signal uh, as opposed to just putting on programming for the sake of putting on programming. And I can tell you, our research team vets all of the speakers. We vet the content. So it is research analysts that are putting this together along with our events team. Uh, so it'll be definitely worth it. That's awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thank you so much, Eric. I know we have a few more minutes here. Uh, sometimes at the end of these, we invite guests from the audience to come on. Are you, uh, are you open to that? Yeah, let's hear uh, what people have to say. Hey, if anyone wants to ask Eric a question, feel free to hit that request button. We'll give it a few minutes. I know Eric has to leave at the top of the hour, so see if we can get a few in if anyone has wants to ask Eric a question. But while we're waiting for people, Eric, just really appreciate you taking the time out to come talk to us. I know I know what it's like in the crypto industry. Everyone's super busy, so we appreciate the time, man. No, this has been great. I, I really appreciate the uh, invite. Plus one to everything Mewtwo said. And we also have a question from Albert in the audience. He asks, if you've applied for a position, how long does it take to hear back? It depends. Uh, if it's the, you know, crypto research analyst position that we have, um, it could be a little bit. Uh, we are filtering through applications. For that position, we've received about 4,000 people wanting to jump into crypto and become a research analyst. Um, so we will get back to you. I can completely assure you of that. It takes a lot of time to read through those resumes. Um, other positions, you know, if you haven't heard back, uh, feel free to ping our uh, account on Twitter and just let them know. I get all of those responses. I get those messages. So uh, I'll be able to make sure that we check out, you know, the application. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. And thank you, Albert, for the question. Uh, give it a few more here, guys. If you if you want to ask, don't be shy. Uh, we'll give it a few more a few more seconds, and if no one uh, no one comes up, we'll we'll call it here. But Eric, I see a bunch of your team members in the audience. Everyone's been uh, listening in. <laughs> Shout out to the Masari team. I I see them in there, and uh, glad they're listening. They are what makes this work. I don't do that much. I uh, just manage a lot of very very smart people. What's going on, new bro? Welcome to the stage. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, Eric, I really appreciate you taking the time and kind of giving us a little bit of insight. Um, one of the, the questions I've got is, without really kind of like asking how to, I guess, get a job, right? Because I know that's what a lot of people discuss. But what are some of the, the ways that people have expressed their enthusiasm that's really like a like a, a home run for y'all without actually having like, hey, here's this portfolio that I've built of protocols I've worked on or something of that nature. Because a lot of people are trying to get into the space. Um, would it be something that's like, here's this blog that I've started or like a Substack or something like that? I guess I was just wondering kind of generally, like, what are some of the things you see that set certain applicants apart rather than I love crypto and I want a job in Web3. Yeah, my biggest piece of advice and the way that we as a company have always hired is 
write, 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 write a Substack, write a blog, do something where even if it's in your free time, you're putting together your thoughts because not only does that give us an idea of how you write, and again, you can teach people how to write, but it shows how you think about things and it lets you actually synthesize your thoughts. Sitting down and writing, you actually have to be concise. You have to put your thoughts into words and you have to present that to an audience. Writing is the most powerful thing, be it on Substack, Twitter, a blog. Um, we always look at that. You know, Personally, I don't care if you went to Harvard or Stanford. I would rather see you write a blog and not even gone to college. Maybe you just don't have that resume, no experience, but you wrote something great. You can synthesize your thoughts. That's what this space is. And that's how you get a job in this space is prove what you can do. Um, it could even be governance proposals, but anything like that, you know, it's such a green field. It's such an emerging and expanding industry where you just need to prove that you want to and can do it. And uh, I guarantee you'll be successful from there. Sounds great. I really like the reply. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, new bro. I think we're going to call it here, guys. Huge shout out to Eric and uh, the Masari team listening in. Appreciate everything you guys are doing for the space. And uh, stay based, everyone. It's been, it's been awesome. Stay based. Thank you again, Eric. Based space.